Well, good morning and uh, welcome to our Bible study this morning. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10 and we're going to look at verse 35 through to 45. But as we read, I want to read from verse 32 of chapter 10. And that will introduce us into what is going to be happening in verses 35 through to 45. So starting to read at verse 32 of Mark chapter 10. They were on the way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teach you, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? he asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink, or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their higher officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for this passage. And as we come before you this morning, again, we ask for understanding that as we open up these words together in your presence, that you will speak to us through them and that we will receive that which you have prepared for us. Our Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So to our passage for this morning, which is verses 35 through to 45, and I initially titled this The Ridiculous Request from Two Brothers. After what has just happened, we have this request from James and John that exposes their lack of understanding about what Jesus has come to do. It's James and John who, along with Peter, were chosen by Jesus to witness his transfiguration. They, like the other disciples, have been students of Jesus for almost three years. They know who he is. 
They know what he will do, but they haven't fully understand how he will do it. They heard him say to them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and they're actually on this journey now when these things are happening. And he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. It seems that they believed in the glorious day when Jesus will be crowned king. And it seems also that they sense that this event is about to happen, and it's about to happen here in Israel. And they're thinking that Jesus will reign as their true king, and that they will be there with him as he takes up his rightful position as king of the Jews. And when we come to verse 35, this is what we read. Then James and John, the sons of Deb Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, first of all, notice how open this request is. They're not at this point telling Jesus what they want. They're wanting him to commit to giving it to them. Now, notice that's it's we, we want you to do this for us, whatever we ask. You know, this sounds almost like a demand from these two brothers, as if they expect to be given whatever it is they ask for. Based on what? Do they think that they have a right to ask for this, whatever it is they're going to ask for? I want us to pause for a moment. My first thought as I prepared for this was to call it, as I've already mentioned, this ridiculous request. This, I now think, is an unfair title. I feel it's unfair to James and John. You see, to James and John, this was not ridiculous. It wasn't ridiculous for them. It was logical. It was the direction they thought things were going. Now, we see it as being ridiculous. Why? Because we have the benefit of hindsight. We know what happened next. But they don't. Even though Jesus has told them what will happen to him, what he said to them seems so strange in their eyes. And at this moment, they would be thinking, that will never happen. He's the Son of Man. He's the Messiah. He is the promised deliverer. This is a passage where we can become quite judgmental about the actions of the disciples. And what we really need to do is to walk for a few moments in their shoes. And in doing that, understanding why they made the mistake that they made. 
and for us to then learn from them. And in doing so, learn to admire their faith and their perseverance, no matter how weak it appears to be at this point. We need to know how that despite all of their slowness to understand, they are among those who have gone before us. And in doing so, they've smoothed the way for us and to help us with our understanding. And we need that, for we also are called to walk that road of faith. Remembering as we do that, the debt that we owe them. The writer to the Hebrews mentions this in chapter 12, verse 1. This is what he says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In other words, we, in our failings and as we try to live as we should live and very often fail, we are to be encouraged by those who have run the race before us. And as that text goes on, if you read on, to not only do that, but to also fix our eyes on Jesus. We see these two brothers here, they, they had ambition, albeit on this occasion it was misplaced. They wanted position, but not knowing the implications of what they were asking. It's within our nature to be ambitious, and it's within our nature to desire positions of power and authority. But we can learn from this passage how we are to do that. So this is what we can learn from this. And also, do we sometimes come to God and ask him to give us whatever we want, not knowing what he wants us to have? Now, this doesn't mean that we can't ask of God. But it makes us think, do we sometimes ask that our will be done rather than God's will be done? That's what these two disciples are saying. Because they totally misunderstand God's will. Let us continue to look at this request as we hear what Jesus said to them in verse 36 and 37. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, Let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. When Jesus asked them what is it that they want him to do for them, it seems that they are in no doubt about the fact that Jesus will achieve his goal. He will sit in glory, they believe that. And things, to be move, things seem to be moving closer to this happening, and they know that. They're picking up the vibes. And they want to be there with him, not just with him, 
but for them to have an important position sitting next to him in glory. And they seem to think that, well, it's just between the two of them and one of them to be chosen to sit on the right hand and the other one, well, he'll be quite happy to go and sit on the left. Verse 38. This is what Jesus said. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? You know, Jesus must have been disappointed. Disappointed by them coming and asking this question. But notice how he doesn't rebuke them. He leads them in a gentle way. He's leading them to help them to see how out of place it is for them to be asking for this. You know, we can learn lots of lessons from this incident here that we can apply to ourselves. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know. And he knows that they don't know. And he knows why they don't know. The answer from them should have been, no, we don't know. But it wasn't. But Jesus asked them two things for them to think about. First of all, can you drink the cup I drink? Well, they don't know what Jesus means when he says, drink the cup. What cup? They don't ask what cup. We know what he meant. Let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane just hours before his execution. And this all happens after these two disciples have made this request. And we read in Mark 14 verse 36. And this is Jesus praying. Abba Father, he said. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will but what you will. We know this is the cup that he's talking about. This is in the forefront of his mind. He knows what's ahead of him. He has told the disciples, but they haven't understood it. They probably haven't really believed it. The disciples at this point did not know what he meant by the cup. No one other than Jesus was able to drink this cup. Secondly, or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. These two brothers, they probably thought he was referring to when he was baptised by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. That's the only thing that they could probably think about. But this baptism that Jesus was talking about here was of Jesus entering into death, carrying with him the sins of mankind and having God his Father turn his face away from him. We 
represent this by being immersed in water. This is as a witness to others of our new life that we have in Jesus, as we identify with him in his death and in his resurrection. That which Jesus endured in our place. For us, it will be a physical demonstration of this in as much as we would go under the water as in death and come out as in resurrection. But we don't have the sins of the world put on our shoulders and we don't have God turn his face from us. We know this. We know that the baptism he was referring to was the once for all sacrifice that Jesus and only Jesus could make to secure redemption for all who will come to him in true repentance and receive the gift of salvation that he offers through what he has done in our stead. At this point they didn't know this. This is why they answered as they did, and we hear that answer in verse 39 of chapter 10. We can, they answered. Yes, we can drink that cup that you will have to drink, and we can go through that baptism that you will have to go through. The reply from Jesus is full of love and compassion. It's like a father would have compassion for a child who in all innocence has just asked a foolish question and the question has been asked out of ignorance and lack of understanding. Jesus knows that the depth of their understanding at this point was beyond their capacity to realise what they were asking. And in the first part of verse 39, Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. Now let's just stop a moment here. This is not contradictory. This is not Jesus saying to them, You can't drink the cup that I drink. You can't be baptised in the baptism that I'm baptised in. And the next breath he's saying that you will drink the cup and you will be baptised. No, no. Jesus has now changed the subject here and he's now talking about what they will have to suffer. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. I have a picture here of Jesus at this point putting his arm around them as he gently walks them back to the rest of the disciples telling them that they will drink a cup of suffering. Not the spiritual suffering involved in being the penalty for the sins of the world. That's the cup he and only he could drink. But they will suffer. And some of them will even suffer the physical pain of crucifixion. But that will not be for them to remove the sins of the world. But that will be a cup that they will have to drink. Remember what Peter said to Jesus before Jesus was arrested. Bold words from Peter, but then he would eventually see the error of them because, again, he didn't fully understand. Matthew 26, verse 33. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, 
I will, I never will. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Well, we know he did. We know that he actually went on to deny that he knew Jesus. Then he, like the rest of the disciples, as Mark tells us, that after Jesus was arrested, this is Mark 14, verse 50, everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone. When he was about to drink that cup that God had given him, when he was about to go through that baptism of taking the sins of the world upon his shoulders and have his father turn his face from him, they all fled, including, including Peter. Back to our text. Jesus goes on to tell James and John that he cannot grant them this request. Verse 40. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. The request is totally out of order. One day they will realise how uninformed they were to even think about it, let alone asking for it. But for now they are still learning. And Jesus is gently teaching them and preparing them for what is ahead. And as they're learning, so are we. As we imagined earlier, Jesus is still speaking to James and John as he led them back to the other disciples. The other disciples would be looking at each other and probably saying, what was all that about? This is what Mark tells us in verse 41 of chapter 10. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Well, to be honest, it's not surprising, is it, when you think about it? You see, this episode caused a problem among the disciples. I think when um, Mark says became indignant, I think it was probably a little bit more than that. I think this is a real problem. This has stirred up something. Because they all wanted a prominent position within the group. And in their hearts, they are thinking about who do James and John think they are? Remember, they, the disciples, had already argued among themselves as to who was the greatest. We read about that in Mark chapter 9. And if you go back and read verse 33 and 34 of Mark chapter 9, you will see that. So they were already discussing amongst themselves who was the greatest amongst them. But this gave Jesus the opportunity to call them together. And what he said would link up with what he said earlier. Something that they were puzzled about. That's where we left off last week. And I said that when Jesus said what he said, he didn't give an explanation. But now is the opportunity for that explanation. They've had an example. They've been able to think about it. Mark 10 verse 31. This is what we read last week, at the end of last week. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And we said the disciples would have gone away 
thinking about that and puzzling about it and turning it around in their heads and in their minds. And they would have had this statement fresh in their minds, thinking to themselves, what did he mean when he said that? Now they're ready for an explanation. So in verse 42 of chapter 10, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Now, just stop for a moment. Jesus has started by telling them what they already know. Now, while they're thinking about it, he then goes on and contrasts that with what he wants them to learn. Verse 43. Not so with you. Hmm, that's something for them to think about. What's he going to say next? Well, let's read on. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant. Oh, now, that's something they've got to think about. Not so with you, this lording over and ruling and showing authority. Instead of that, if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. We know that at this point, they all want to be great. And each one of them probably sees himself as being greater than the others. They're all in the running for promotion. And this is not how it's going to be for them. Verse 44. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. This statement applies to all of them because they all want to be first. This is a natural desire. When there's something happening and you want to be involved in it and you might want to be right at the forefront and you might want to take a position of authority where you can enjoy it. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And they all at this point, want to be first. Jesus then goes on, and, and in verse 45, listen to what he says. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is a statement that will embed itself in their minds and that they will later treasure in their hearts as they see the full truth of it after his death and his resurrection and after he's returned to glory and they are left to carry on the work, albeit with the help of the Holy Spirit. Even the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and then to give his life as a ransom for many. John 13 tells us how Jesus would later demonstrate this by taking on the role of a servant, by putting a towel around his waist, taking a bowl of water and washing disciples' feet. And then he went on to do much more than that when he washed the sinful hearts of men and women like you and I with the blood he shed on Calvary's cross. 
They were expecting glory on earth, where they would sit on the left and the right hand of the one who is king. But glory, and they will see this, glory will come only through suffering. First, the suffering of the Lamb of God, and then the suffering of those who follow him. Jesus had already warned his disciples of this. Go back to Mark 8, verse 34, and we've looked at it as we've gone through the book of Mark. This is what he said. This is Jesus speaking. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. At that point, they didn't understand what it would mean taking up the cross. They wouldn't know that Jesus would be crowned and hailed as king of the Jews when he hung upon a cross. They even fled at that point. And even when the women came and said that the tomb was empty, they still didn't believe. We're all slow learners. Romans 8, verse 16 to 18. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And this is what Paul goes on to say. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this passage and we thank you for the encouragement we can take from it. Forgive us if we are too quick to judge and to criticise the disciples for asking this ridiculous question. A question which in reality, in their eyes then, with the amount of understanding they had, was to them not ridiculous. But they would see the truth of it. They would learn from it. And our Father, we thank you that we too can learn from their mistakes. And we can thank them for it. As we thank you for the fact that you have preserved these words down the ages so that we can be blessed by them. But our Father, we thank you for the fact that we can turn our eyes to Jesus and we can follow you and your example. Our Father, we come to you as a company of your people. Due to this coronavirus, we are separated by distance. But we thank you that we are one in you. And our Father, we ask that you Keep us close to each other. And as we go through these difficult times, that we will be wise in the things that we do and the things that we say. We will be re wise in the requests that we make to you. And these requests might be made in your will, that your will be done. And we bring these things to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. May God continue to bless you. Amen.